After 35 years as a physical therapist and 31 years in private practice, I've noticed a few things. And one of those is that in today's environment, the public demands and the public needs require us as treating professionals, as physical therapists, to be problem solvers and think creatively. Welcome to Therapist in Motion podcast, brought to you by Spooner. Welcome back to Therapist in Motion podcast. Paul and Dan here with you today. And if you didn't already recognize the lovely voice in our intro, our owner and CEO, Tim Spooner, is joining us this morning. Yes, this morning. It is currently morning. That is morning, yes. yes. Thank you. Even though it's dark in here. Yes, I know. I'm a little thrown <laughs> off. Dan created a very nice environment for us today. So uh, this month, currently, in 2021, uh, Spooner is going through a nice little rebrand, uh, awesome new logo. However, at the base root of things, it seems like then it becomes a good time to talk about what is the foundation. Because the commitment to excellence hasn't changed, and our commitment to being movement specialist has not changed. So thought with a new look and a new logo, let's reset what we expect out of our profession. And in your intro, Tim, you talked about you know therapists needing to problem solve through things. That's what the community demands and, and needs if they don't even know that that's what they need. What are you talking about when you say they need to be able therapists need to be able to problem solve? Great question and good morning, guys. Problem solving is your ability to look at a complete situation and a complete person and and really understand what what they need to do and understand truly what our where our space is in the healthcare environment. Our space in the healthcare provider environment as primary care MSD specialist is crucial to the healthcare system, meaning people have been for years not getting treated, not receiving care for their MSD issues and putting them off, which tends to worsen them. You know, for instance, if we if someone drives a car into a curb and their right tire gets out of alignment and they think, well, it's okay, but let's just continue to drive it. Sooner or later, you're going to wear out that tire and wear out that rim and cause issues with the entire car. Our, our, our movement system is no different. And the biomechanical specialist, the person most adept at evaluating that is the physical therapist. And we need to really own that space as part of the healthcare system. So when you come to owning that space, what what does that look like? How as a therapist can I own my space as a, as a movement specialist and a primary MSD, musculoskeletal dysfunction provider? Great, great question. And, and, it, and we, we have to go back to school and say, all right, we get a tremendous foundation in our profession on what the body is. And that's our anatomy and our in our and some biomechanics and and physiology and how it moves. But now we have to take that basic foundation and say, what does that look like in real life with with my patients? And we need to take that and really go back and double down on that anatomy because do we really know where all slips of that tendon attach and what would turn them on and what would 
um, what is that design actually for, and then apply it to a biomechanical model where now that person is moving. Because we studied a lot of stuff that was two-dimensional, uh, uh, you know, a in books, and now we're out in a three-dimensional world where people are moving, they're doing function, and we have to apply that and enhance our biomechanical knowledge to a greater degree. So I... I appreciate that the level of depth within school, what it teaches us. And during our show prep, you spoke a little bit about your vision of what historically that has done. And you said that historically it creates four walls, but it doesn't always have a door that opens or closes to, to help us progress and meet the needs of the individuals in front of us. So can you allude and, and speak a little bit more in depth to what that looks like with creating four walls that has a door that open and closes to help us as a profession and us as individuals move down and progress along our professional path? Yeah, I, what I meant by the, the four walls and the, is that it is a contained system. And if we know anything about the journey of being a licensed professional is that it is a journey and it is a growth and we have to be open to learning more. Um, we have to have a curiosity to want to learn more. And we have to understand why, why we want to learn more. And when you're practicing in front of a patient, there's, there's no greater fear of going, man, I really don't know. That should drive us to seek resources, to learn greater skills, um, to understand the body at a greater depth. And in order to do that, we have to shed some things. We have, to, we have to understand that our whys and our curiosity are the greatest drivers for us. And we need to shed our fears of, well, what's insurance going to say? Or, or what's, what's, uh, what's, what's the licensing board going to say? We have to stay within our license in that. But what we really need to do is take care of that person in front of us. What are we going to do? What skills are we going to learn? And how are we going to learn more about human movement in order to accomplish that task? You use the word, the, the why, our why. And I always, I always love that. I think it's one of those things that we talk about remembering your why, why we're in this profession. It can be something that can help us with our energy. It can help us with remaining passionate about what we do it can even help us to connect we're trying to you know build a relationship with uh, other referring providers or other health care specialists so i'm curious about your why tim you, know, you talked about this is a path that this is a uh, professional progression you go through instead of sitting within a singular room have you experienced or how has your thought process changed over the years but still reflecting back on how you have a consistent why that you want to achieve why for me is I'm a, I'm I'm a, I'm an assistant to Mother Nature, and I want to I want to help the person in front of me move and feel better. And what skills do I need to have in order to be do in order to do that? And the why has just continued to progress and expand because every time I ask that person in front of me. What would they like to do and look at what they can do? It 
has challenged me to learn new skills and to understand human movement at a greater function. It is, to me, it's, it, it's, the, it's the epitome of the opposite of burnout. If I am learning, if I'm growing, then I'm helping people. I'm having fun. I'm having fun in the clinic. My patients are getting better. And I'm, I'm not worried about burnout. In fact, it, 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 it creates almost a different fuel in the aspect that now there's more people at my door. It creates some kind of stress that way. Like, holy cow, how am I going to take care of all these people? But shouldn't we all want that? As a, as a professional, shouldn't we want people that want us to take care of them? What, there, there's, to me, there's no greater feeling than, than being able to help somebody. And if they line up outside my door to do that, 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 that that's, that's an incredible feeling. I think you hit on a couple of components that I want you to circle back around. And, and one of those is about the posture of curiosity, right? To me, that's one of the most fundamental and foundational characteristics that's going to help our profession continue to move forward and meet the needs and demands of those who are coming in to see us is that posture of curiosity. So can you speak a little bit to why that's one of those driving forces and driving characteristics in your opinion that's going to help our profession continue to move forward? When I look at curiosity and when I look at what Paul mentioned as the why, they're a, they're, a, they're a spinning devil in my head. Someone comes in and asks and says that they had a rotator cuff injury. It was a non-traumatic injury, and the person is X numbers of years old. Well, that shoulder just didn't wake up and fall off. And if it did fall off, why didn't the other one fall off? So we have to ask why. And I have to be curious enough to say, not only did the surgeon maybe put that shoulder together, but what, am, what is my job to prevent it from happening again or preventing the other one from happening again? And so I go through a layer of why and curiosity why that happened. Then I go through a layer of what movement problem may have led to that and tissue that failed. And then another curiosity that says, well, what am I going to do from a movement perspective to prevent that and, and retrain the system to not have that. And when we look at the complexity of the body and the multitude of areas for injury and the layers of, I usually think it's four to five layers deep in order to really get at what I should be doing uh, and what I can do for my patient. That, I mean, there, there, there's a lot of information there and that, that curiosity is, is, is uh, it, it's just kind of a constant process. I got to ask why until I find a real fundamental fundamental cause. And when I find it and I explain it to the patient, they are completely bought in because they feel it too. Yeah, I would say that driving posture of curiosity or posture of learning for me is kind of what you just alluded to. It's that gap that gap between the cause and the, the, the result or the effect, right? And, and so many times in our world as therapists and even in the medical world, people go in to see a provider because they have an effect, right? They have pain. They had an acute injury, right? And 
I think what is going to help progress our profession moving forward is to get better at narrowing the gap between the effect and the cause, identifying the cause, which takes thought, it takes learning, it takes genuine curiosity and solid question answering, asking, sorry, not answering, um, and getting to know the patient and their body in a way that perhaps our profession hasn't done in the past. Totally agree, but let's think back to how we were trained. We were trained for episodic care. The public and the healthcare systems demands that we move towards more lifestyle medicine. So we're going to treat somebody through an acute episode. That's going to continue to happen. But we are also taking care of them over a lifespan. So you're going to get to know that patient and help them move more efficiently and better over the course of a lifetime. So when you see that person in their 30s, you, you, you may have something. But when they're moving in their 60s and retired and want to enjoy life and get out and do things, have you prepared them for that? Have you counseled them early on about risks and, and things that they may need to do? And when we think of lifestyle medicine, are we, are we taking care of that biomechanical movement system in its best function and also being addressing some of the other issues, whether that may be uh, some of the other risk factors that may not prevent the, or may prevent them from being successful as they get into their fifth and sixth and seventh decades? I think that's a phenomenal thing for people to think about is what you just said, is caring for an individual moving forward from the first time you meet them. I don't know if it was you, Tim, or you, Paul, or one of my other mentors that basically said at one point to me, I want, Dan, I want to challenge you with that patient that you meet today, that new patient that you meet today. You're going to care for them and be their go-to health advocate for the rest of their life, right? That's a pretty big challenge to think about. Hmm. I'm going to manage this person for the rest of my professional career. But what you just said about thinking long-term about their biomechanical needs and what we know about how the body can change and what does can change. and does change and what things can we do now, both from a biological standpoint or a biomechanical standpoint, but also a psychological standpoint and preparing their brain to accept what is can and or will happen, that's a really powerful thing for people to think about. And I guarantee the listeners who aren't doing that right now, when you start to do that, it will transform your practice. So I, I started this talking a little bit about the rebrand um, and setting a foundation. However, I think it's important to recognize that this isn't obviously just us. We, we're looking at the entire profession. So an individual walks into any physical, occupational, therapy clinic anywhere in the country. What would be your expectations of the way the therapists would think about treating and addressing this individual and whatever their needs are? Uh, again, fabulous question. And let's, let's start by just getting um, very personal and getting very 
close to that patient and forgetting all of the other barriers that we may have, whether that's time, insurance, or whatever, and say, what is our job? So we have to engage. We have to listen intently. We have to understand what their needs are, their mind, body, spirit of who they are, where they've been, and most importantly, where they may want to go, and understand what that looks like from an engagement standpoint, being able to connect with them verbally. Maybe we're doing telehealth and we have to be able to connect with them that way. There are lots of mediums for us to do that. So the first thing we have to do is truly engage, get rid of the distractions and the, and the no's and the can'ts and say, what can I do for this person and give them hope? Now that we understand that we can give them hope, let's intervene. Let's evaluate their movement system. Let's use all of our tools at our disposal from our hands to our heart to the varying skills of dry needling and other things that we may have acquired and start to really understand the biomechanical system as we begin moving and assessing them. And as we begin moving and assessing them, we are helping them get better and improve their function. In the third We have to look at how we're going to train or move that person and realize that they came into our office with low back pain, but they walked in. They got out of a car. They drove 10 minutes. They walked down a flight of stairs to do that. And we have to train them not in our clinic, but for life and for all of those different experiences because they're going to walk back out of our office and they're going to go want to do something with their grandchildren. They're going to want to go play pickleball. They're going to want to swing a golf club. And so our number and repetitions of how we train the system and improve the biomechanical efficiency of the system and that chain reaction that happens through the system has to be of a sufficient number, a sufficient amount to actually make that change. Chronicity is prevalent throughout our entire system. We've been in a, a, a pandemic of sorts for the last 15 years um, in treating opioids. Most opioid issues are the result of MSDs not being treated. These MSDs are coming into our clinic all the time. And if we think that two sets of 10 is going to reverse a chronic system that has been malfunctioning for years, we need to rethink what our real job in the healthcare system is. I love that. And that's awesome to hear because that that gives me a great picture of what I agree, you know, therapy really needs to be. You you, you talk about your whys and I think back to why I originally got into the profession myself. And I I always, I like the idea of each person walking through the door being a little puzzle. I got to figure out how does everything work together and then what do they need? I envision a little kid that loves to take apart their clock, take apart their watch and figure out how it all works and put it back together. I was always fascinated by the idea of how the human body moves and how I can address it and how so often in practice I might look at the relatively same thing for every single person walks through, but how all those things function together and then what they need to be able to do varies so greatly, nothing's ever the same. And when it continues to interest me, uh, you 
you know, 10 years out in my professional career of why every shoulder that comes through isn't the same. You know, everyone's different. I feel like the monotony is not there, which is what keeps me interested and is kind of my why for being intellectually interested and engaged in this profession. So also important component then becomes, how, how do you do that? You know, how, how do you do the things you talked about, Tim? Because I'm sure there are listeners out there saying like, yeah, I do this, I do this, I do this well, but I need to improve it. I'm not quite there where I want to be. And there might be others like, I hear you, man, but where do I start? What do I do to try to get this? Because I, I, I can't just snap my fingers and magically know how to turn someone into, you know, their turn someone's episode of care into what you've described. And so for those listening, first thing I'd recommend too is even just look at your colleagues and ask questions of those around you. I, I feel like this is way too frequently missed in practice. So often I have people going through and planning out their Con Ed courses, which are hugely important. But it's just everything they feel like is that learning of Con Ed, learning of Con Ed. It goes to what you talked about, Dan and Tim, both of you. You know, if we give a patient two sets of 10 and they've had chronic issues, is that really going to address their problem? They come in to see me three hours out of the week. Is that enough? There's so many things in between. The same thing with learning. Too often people do three Con Ed courses per year and that's their big learning opportunities. It's like, well, we have 360, you know, some odd other days that are happening throughout the entirety of the year. I don't know why I said 360. I'm apparently adding a couple extra leap day years in there. I apologize. I meant to subtract and I added 350 other days in there. There's so much learning that can happen with those around you. Those less experienced than you, those more experienced, be open to what they're doing. Ask them questions. They can show you something you haven't thought of, maybe pique your interest and help you take the next steps. For those that have exhausted some options or maybe you're working in a, a single clinic and there's nothing else out there, you know, some, some great groups that I particularly think do a really good job of understanding human movement and how to address it, You know, the Gray Institute. AFS, we've spoken to that previously, IPA, Institute of Physical Art, I think they do an amazing job of helping understand how the body works and how everything fires and functions together, um, but, but everything. And I think just whenever you take a course, ask yourself the questions that Tim was alluding to and how do you put all of these pieces together? You know, research has its place. Research is awesome. I love research. I have to ask though, what is that research study telling me? How does it impact my care? And then how can I take it the next step and translate it to what my patient actually needs in front of me, not just what muscle is going to fire best with this certain exercise. Important to know, but where do I take this? What does this mean? How am I going to use this to solve the problem for the patient in front of me? So if you're asking yourself, can I check off these boxes Tim is talking about? And there's this course, everything has value, but what else am I missing? How do I get the other pieces or ways you can start progressing your your treatment to address some of these? Do either of you two have any other thoughts of how you can start taking steps to start tackling this bigger picture as opposed to maybe becoming the Google PT, as we've talked about, who just prescribes the exercises that Google would find typically. I, I, I like what you're saying, Paul, and, and there is an opportunity every day. And there's an opportunity to look back at your, at your anatomy book, to understand your anatomy at a deeper level, to ask a question of a colleague and don't miss those little things. Those little things add up over time. And when you repetitively do that, you what you've said is that you opened your heart to learning and you're open to helping your patient. And when you do that, those there will be more and more big opportunities that, that come, but don't miss those little ones. 
I would agree with that. You know, I, I preach to students that I have that every single patient is an opportunity to learn. And if you ask the right questions and you listen to what they say, you're going to learn a lot. So that, that's a huge opportunity every single day is, is to challenge yourself to have the same energy from your first patient to your last patient. But I would also add besides, you know, the two main course groups that, that Paul shared with Institute of Physical Art and the Gray Institute is sometimes you as a therapist need a, a, a go-to treatment option that is tried and true and helps you build confidence. Because when you get some of that confidence in the back of your head, that is what can assist with your ability to get outside of those four walls of your comfort zone and and move on. I love it. Thank you, guys. Great advice. And I just want to say also what I, I think I heard a little bit there too, Dan, um, is reflecting. You know, we we sometimes like to joke about how at Creighton we reflected upon reflecting of our reflections. Um, but the truth is it's an underappreciated aspect, especially when our jobs are demanding, right? There's a lot of emotional demand, physical demand. Sometimes you're done with work and you just need to leave work and put it behind you and get your mind on something else, which makes sense. Like we need to take appropriate emotional care of ourselves mentally, etc. Um, but I would definitely challenge individuals to reflect upon your patient care, reflect upon your day. And you don't have to do it every single day, but especially reflect upon episodes. How did things go? How can you improve upon it? We all keep learning. What else can we do? What else can we see? Where else can we change? Where can I connect? Uh, sometimes it becomes easy to just go through your day, pour out your, your energy to the patient, and then remove yourself so completely, you might miss the opportunity to look at, like, you know what? What if I had tried implementing this somewhere else? Or what if I had thought about something here? Or, hey, Dan, what did you see with the patient walking through? It doesn't mean I did anything wrong. It just helps me have more ideas of how I can treat the next person that comes through and the next person that comes through. So don't be afraid to reflect on things that are out there. I think some of us do it intrinsically, but sometimes you don't even think about it, whereas others maybe just don't do it enough, and it could be a very valuable tool for you. So as always, thank you all for listening. If you have other thoughts and ideas of how you'd like to see the profession progress or recommendations you have, we'd love to hear it. You can reach us at therapistsinmotion at spoonerpt.com. Otherwise, thanks for listening and have a great day. Thank you for listening. Please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app.